0: If you haven't done so already, open your Bibles to that passage, to Acts chapter 4. The text this morning is Acts chapter 4, verses 23 through 31. Last Sunday, when we looked at these verses, we we saw that when the apostles were released by the council, they immediately went to their friends and told them what had happened. And and as we saw, that that makes perfect sense to us. After a traumatic event like they had just experienced, after being uh, arrested and tried by the council, the very same council that had orchestrated the death of Jesus, if we had experienced something like that, we would have gone to our friends too. To tell them about it. They didn't just go to their friends to tell them what had happened. Luke tells us that when they went to their friends and when their friends heard what had happened, they immediately lifted up their voices to God in prayer. And this morning I want us to begin looking more closely at that prayer. We'll, We'll see that the prayer actually divides fairly naturally into two parts. In the first part of the prayer, there is praise. In the first part of the prayer, they name the God to whom they are praying. And as the song says, simply to say His name is praise. Just to recount who He is and and what He has done is to praise Him, for He is the Sovereign Lord, the Creator of all things and the Ruler of all history. The second part of the prayer is petition. You you see that transition as they they transition to their requests in verse 29. They ask God to act on their behalf. They they ask God to, to look upon the threats of the council and to grant them boldness to continue preaching the gospel and to continue working signs and wonders through them in the name of Jesus. Well, we will be considering their praise, the first part of their prayer this morning. And then we'll be looking at their petitions next Sunday. And if we have time next Sunday, we'll also look at God's response to their petitions there. In verse 31, Luke tells us that when they had prayed, the place was shaken. They were filled with the Holy Spirit, and they continued to speak the word with boldness. But this morning, our focus is going to be on their So let's begin with that question. Who is this God to whom they are praying? Who is the God to whom we pray?
1: And the first thing we
0: see right there in the middle of verse 24 is that they address God as the sovereign Lord. The God to whom they are praying is the sovereign Lord. So we need to understand what that means and we need to understand why it matters. So first, what does it mean to call God the sovereign Lord? Well, the, the word that is used there is spada, which is a word that, from which we get our English despot, which, which kind of has some negative connotations for us, but, but those negative connotations weren't there in the, the Greek word that the apostles used in their prayer. It was were simply a word that referred to someone who had absolute authority, or at least authority as absolute as human authority can be. So naturally, when that word is applied to God, it refers to absolute authority without human limitations. In other words, the the apostles are addressing God as the one who has absolute, unlimited, unqualified authority over all things. And in this, they are really professing what we see throughout the scriptures. Our God is the God who works all things according to the counsel of His will. Our God is the God who does whatever He pleases. Our God is the God who directs all of the actions of all of His creatures all of the time. Not even a sparrow falls to the ground apart from His will. That's what it means to to address God as the Sovereign Lord. And think about the implications of such authority. It means first that all human authorities are subject to him. We we see this in verse 27. Whether they mean to or not, all human authorities execute God's plan. Herod and Pilate conspired against Jesus, but despite themselves, they did God's will. Despite themselves, they, they executed God's plan. For there is no ruler or authority or or human power that can thwart or even hinder his plans. And of course, the same is true of natural powers. He is sovereign over viruses. He is sovereign over ice storms and tornadoes and hurricanes and fires and floods and earthquakes. None of these natural powers can fort his plans any more than human authorities can. He works all things according to the counsel of his will without failure or compromise. The natural powers, just like the human authorities, serve his purposes all the time. That's what it means to say that the God in whom we pray is the sovereign. When you see this, the the significance of his sovereignty becomes clear. Because God, our God, our heavenly Father, because he is the sovereign Lord, we can entrust ourselves to him without fear or reservation. As the psalmist says repeatedly, blessed are all who take refuge in him. If you take refuge in him, if you get in him, Like the ark, as Sam said, you will be blessed. Those who put their trust in princes, those who who put their trust in the mighty arm of the king with his mighty horses and his iron chariots, they will be put to shame. But the one who calls on the name of the Lord, that one will never be shamed. Now, this does not mean that we will never experience trouble or hardship. We, we know this from both experience and Scripture. We have all experienced trouble upon trouble. As I said in the call to worship, we, we gather here this morning as the afflicted and the oppressed and the, the troubled. None of us has escaped the hardships of, of life in this fallen world. And that is exactly what Scripture tells us to Expect, Scripture assures us that that those who seek to live a godly life will have trouble. Those who follow the Good Shepherd will pass through the valley of the shadow of death. The fires will rage around them and the floods will rise against them. But, here's the promise. Those who entrust themselves to the Lord, even in the midst of such Turmoil, affliction, oppression. They will not be harmed because their God is the sovereign Lord. As Paul says in in Romans chapter 8, those who entrust themselves to the Lord, yes, they will know tribulation and distress and persecution and famine and nakedness and danger and sore. That's, That's quite a list. This is what we can expect to experience in this present evil age. But, Paul says, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loves us. For he who loves his people, he who loves us, is the sovereign Lord. And as the sovereign Lord, he is committed to working all things together for our means that we can cry out to Him. At any moment, at 3 o'clock in the morning, we can cry out to Him with absolute confidence. I'm not saying we will always feel absolute confidence. We we are weak in our faith, and our our faith is, is sometimes little. But if our faith is in Him, whether we feel it or not, We always have reason for absolute confidence, for His authority is always absolute. He is always able to work all things according to the counsel of His will, and His will is to work all things together for the good of those who love Him. Therefore, when we pray, we are not appealing to one who is unlikely to be able to do anything us. We have that feeling sometimes. Uh, Have you ever called into a big tech company to get support? You are unlikely to talk to someone who's going to be able to do anything for you. It's just the way that it works. And even have that feeling when we're talking to our friends. We we want to tell them about the things that are happening, but we don't really think they can fix it. I have have that experience all the time as a pastor. I, I hear people tell me of their troubles, and there's nothing that I can immediately do I can't simply extricate them from the situation. I can't solve the problem. All I can do is listen. That is not the case when we pray. On the contrary, when we pray, we are appealing to the Sovereign Lord. When we pray, we are appealing to the One who can work all things for our good. So let me ask you, what has been the focus of your anxiety recently? What have you been worried about? Have you been worried about your health or about the health of someone you love? Have you been worried about your marriage or about your children? Have you worried about your job or just the economy at large? I've been worried about our nation or our culture as you you see it begin to to drift on a storm tossed sea. I've been worried about the work of the gospel in our generation. Any one of these worries is more than enough to crush a weak human being. We can't bear them, but we don't have to. We do not have to bear these burdens because we can cast our cares and our anxieties upon the sovereign Lord. We can let His peace rule in our hearts because we know that He, your habit? Is it your habit to cast your cares and concerns upon the Lord in prayer? Have you been making use of the privilege that is yours through Jesus Christ? Have you been utilizing the access to the sovereign Lord that is yours because you are His? See, we sometimes feel guilty about our prayer lives. We we feel that we should be more faithful in prayer as an expression of our gratitude to God for all in Christ. We we think, you know, God has done so much for us, the the least I can do for Him is pray. I want you to understand that such thinking completely misses the point. It conceives of of prayer as as something that we do for God because He has done so much for us, as as if God needed our prayers. The truth is, prayer is part of the gift. It's not something you have to do. But through Jesus Christ, through His death and resurrection, we have been granted access to the Sovereign Lord. Through Jesus' death and resurrection, we now have the privilege of taking refuge in Him. We now have a mighty fortress. That protects us from from all of the the oppression and the the affliction and the, the trouble of this present evil age. And one way that we access that fortress is through prayer. Therefore, let us pray not because we're supposed to, not because we think God needs us to, but because we can because we've been granted the privilege. Let us bring all of our cares and our concerns to the Sovereign Lord who not only can work all things together for our good, but who has promised to do so, who desires to do so, who delights to do so. Let us pray as those who pray to the Sovereign Lord. We see here He's as the Sovereign Lord. He is also the creator. This helps us even further understand who this one is to whom we we pray. We see it there in uh, the end of verse 24 that he is the maker of the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything that is in them. But not only is he the creator of all things, he is the ruler of all things. We we see this in verses 25 and 28. He is the ruler of history, the one who who announces and executes his predestined plan. So he is the, the ruler of history. And he is the God of creation. Let's, let's look at both of those briefly. First, we see that he is the God of creation. The, the apostles address him as the sovereign Lord who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them. And again, this is the, the consistent testimony of Scripture. The the apostles are only reflecting what they know to be true from the rest of Scripture as they pray. We we know from Scripture that that all things were created by Him, that apart from Him nothing was made that, that has been made. He is the alone, singular creator of all things, visible and invisible. Heaven, earth, sea, and all that is in Him were spoken into existence by the word of His power. And that is a truth of the utmost Significance. Now, it's a, it's a truth that we all know. We, we all know Genesis 1.1. We all know in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. But we need to know it existentially. We, we need to know it at the heart level. We need to know it in a way that transforms our lives. For knowing that God is the creator ought to transform everything about the way you live in this world. Because in seeing God as the creator, we see him first as a God of unimaginable power. His word calls into existence things that previously did not exist. This is what the the theologians call creation ex nihilo, creation out of nothing. God spoke things into existence that previously did not exist. Now I know you know that, but, but just meditate upon. Let the wonder of it overwhelm you. This is why Jesus says that nothing is impossible for God. He is simply not limited by by circumstances or by the resources available to Him at a given time. We are limited by such things. We can only work with what we've got. We can only do what we have opportunity to to do. It's why we cannot always accomplish the things that we want to accomplish. It's not why we cannot always do the good that we want to do. But as creator, God faces no such limitations. He doesn't need resources. He creates them. And He doesn't need opportunities. He does whatever He wants to do when He wants to do it. And and that means, as I said before, that we can trust ourselves to Him. We can entrust ourselves to Him without reservation or qualification. For He is the God who is always able to do what He promises to do. And not only can He do what He wants to do, but what He wants to do is always good because the second thing that we see in His work of creation is His absolute wisdom. Sometimes this is a little harder to see because creation is no longer as it is meant to be. Sin and death entered the world through Adam's first rebellion. And so creation is, is now under God's curse. It has been subjected to Utility. And while creation has been polluted and, and perverted by man's sin and has not been utterly decimated, it still reflects something of, of God's original design. And in that design, in, in the, the, the profound design of creation, in the, the cosmic balance and the perfect tuning of this world, we see God's wisdom on display. We see that, that He made a world that not only can sustain life, but a, but a, a world that, that provides life abundant, that provides true flourishing, that, that provides true shalom. And again, seeing, this, seeing that, that God knows what is good, seeing that God knows what is best, it frees us to pray. We may cry out to God, asking Him to act on our behalf, whatever our circumstances, because we can have absolute confidence that that His wisdom is always good. His will is always good, perfect, and pleasing. Because He does not face the same limitations that we do. We are sometimes limited or or hindered by our lack of wisdom. We're studying the Psalms on, on Wednesday night. We're trying to gain wisdom But we are more than aware that we are not there yet. We want to discipline our children for their good, but we don't always know how. We we want to love our neighbor well, but it's not always clear what that means. We've all been in those those complex situations where the right thing to do is not immediately clear and and you get the advice of counselors and they don't all agree. We've seen this over the course of the last year. We we talked about race and we all agree that racism is a problem, but we don't all agree about the best way forward. We all agree that we want to protect one another's health in this pandemic. We don't all agree about the best way to do that. We are limited by our inability to know all things. We are limited by our lack of of wisdom. But God's wisdom is never limited. And therefore, we can always pray boldly. We can confidently ask God to act on our behalf, knowing that His will will be best for us. And so God is a God of power. He is a God of wisdom. He he is able to do whatever he wants and he he knows what is good. But more than even that, he is a God who delights to do what is good. Because the third thing that we see in his work of creation is his love. And again, because of man's sin, because creation is, is presently under God's curse, this is not always easy to see. People sometimes, maybe often, look at the world and wonder how God can be both all-powerful and all-loving. I'm sure you've heard the argument. People say if if God is all-powerful, He can not be all-loving because an all-loving God would not allow such horrors as we have seen throughout human history. And so if God is all-loving, He must not be all-powerful. He must not be able to do what He wants to do. And if He's all-powerful, He must not be all-loving. He must not want what is best for us. It's, it's one or the other. It can't be both. I suspect you have felt the weight of that dilemma at some point in your own life. Some of you may even be struggling with it this morning as you as you deal with the, the, the challenges and the difficulties and the, the troubles of your own life here and If that is where you find yourself this morning, I I want you to know that you are right to feel burdened by this question. It is a weighty question. In fact, I would suggest to you that it is a question beyond our ability to bear. Our finite brains simply cannot fully comprehend how God's power and love fit together. But as you struggle with this question, I want you to remember that the world we experience today, even as I said before, is not the world as God created it to be. The world is as it is today because of man's sin, because of man's rebellion against God. The world as it is today is as it is because man has refused to acknowledge God as God. The world is as it is because instead of following after God's wisdom, man has gone his own way. He has leaned on his own understanding. He has done what he he seems to think is right in his own eyes. And that rebellion has brought sin and death into the world. It's not a perfect analogy, but... But parents know that they sometimes must let their children experience the consequences of their sin for their own, but because they love them. Because they, they love them, they, they must allow them to experience the consequences of their choices so that they can begin to learn to walk in wisdom. In the same way, God, in His mysterious wisdom, has allowed His image bearers to experience in part the consequences of their sins, so they might learn to trust and follow him. I don't, I don't pretend to understand it fully. But I trust that God is acting in perfect love, even when I don't understand what he is doing, because I see that he is a God of love in his work of creation. We, we see it in these, these glimpses, of, the, of creation's glory and goodness. In the glory and goodness of creation, we see the Father's love. We see His delight in giving good gifts to His children. As I said, creation is corrupted, but it is not utterly destroyed. And we still see traces of its glory. And in those traces, we see that the world that God created is a world that is good for us, a world in which we can flourish. We we see His fatherly care. We we see His His delight in in giving good gifts. But it's not these glimpses that we depend on fully. For while these glimpses do give us a a sense of God's love for us, the ultimate proof of God's love is elsewhere. The ultimate proof of God's love is Jesus. Jesus. God so loved the world that He gave His Son. God so loved the world that He put forth His Son as a sacrifice for sin. God shows His love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus is the ultimate expression of God's love for us. We may struggle to understand how God's power and, and love fit together in this present evil age, but we see God's love on full display in Jesus, and the one who, who came to restore creation, the one who came to undo the brokenness of this feudal age, and the one who came to make all things new, and the one who came to the works of the devil and to establish God's kingdom on earth as it is in heaven for us. For us, He, he, he does this so that He might give us the kingdom, so that He might qualify for us as an inheritance in, in His glorious kingdom. This is God's love for His people. And it's what we see when we reflect upon God as the Creator. He's a God of power, of wisdom, and love. And because He is, we can pray to Him with absolute boldness. So again, let me ask you, when you pray, do you know yourself to be praying to the God of creation, the maker of heaven and earth? Do you pray with the boldness that such knowledge demands? Because this is who we pray to. The Sovereign Lord, the, the God of creation, and third, the God of history. We see it there in, the, in verses uh, 25 through 28. We see that God is the God of province. He is the God who announces and executes His plan. I haven't left myself have much time here, so, so let, me, let me move quickly. We see, first, that God is the God who announces His plan. We, we see this in the, uh, the Apostles' quoting of a, a Psalm 2. He says that, that through the mouth of our father David, your servant, by the mouth of the Holy Spirit, he said, why did the Gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against His anointed." That's, that's Psalm 2. The, the Apostles were reflecting back on something that, that had been written down a thousand years before. And they're saying, God, you told us what was going to happen. You told us that the nations were going to rage against your anointing. You you told us that, that, that they were going to plot against him. But when they quote just those verses, they have the whole psalm in mind and they know what comes next. Because the psalm goes on to tell us that he who sits in heaven lies. You don't want to think of God as laughing at his enemies, but that's what the psalm says. He is in no way threatened by them. He holds them in derision. His plans will not be hindered by their plotting. God says, this is what is going to happen. This is what I am going to do. The nations will rage, but my anointed will be enthroned. His kingdom will be Established. He announces it beforehand. That matters because the God who can tell you what's going to happen is the God who controls what happens. And that, that's exactly what we see. Because what God said was going to happen is what did happen. He announced it beforehand and then he didn't. We see this in verses 27 and 28. The apostles say, for, for truly in this city they're gathered together against your holy servant Jesus whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel. In other words, the nations did rage. The nations did plot against the Lord's anointed, but their plotting was in vain. For despite themselves, contrary to their intentions, they actually did whatever God's hand and God's had predestined to, to take place. Yes, Jesus was crucified. And yes, that looked like the victory of the nations. But Jesus' crucifixion was not his defeat, just the opposite. Jesus' crucifixion was his victory, and his death, death, death. Died. By his death, sin was defeated. By his death, redemption and righteousness were secured for all who believe in him. Just get to ponder that. We know it, but ponder meditate upon that profound truth. God used the rage of the nations, their rage against him. And against His anointed, God used that rage to accomplish His own purposes and to establish the kingdom of His beloved Son. That's the God to whom we pray. The God of history. The the God who works all things according to the counsel of His will. The God who has accomplished His purposes in and through Jesus Christ. And because that is the God to whom we pray, we can pray with absolute, unshakable confidence. We can entrust ourselves to Him without fear or anxiety. So one last time, let me ask you, is this the way you pray? When you pray, do you pray to the God of history? When you pray, do you pray to the God of providence, the sovereign Lord who works all things according to the counsel of His will? maybe i should say when you pray do you know yourself to be praying to this god for the fact is this is the god to whom you pray whether you know it or not in our, our sinfulness and our weakness we don't always see god for who he is we don't always remember his, his power and his wisdom and his love we don't always see him as the sovereign lord but i mean that's why we don't pray more than we do we think of prayers as weak and ineffectual because we think of god as less than powerful, less than active. We need to see God as He is. And that's why we should always follow the Apostle's example when we pray. It's why we begin our prayers with praise. That's what Jesus taught His disciples to do. Jesus taught His disciples to pray, Our Father in Heaven. We we might just think of that as as a salutation, but it's so much more. That brief address reminds us that the one to whom we pray is first our Father, who loves us deeply, and he is in heaven, sitting upon the throne, able to work all things according to the counsel of his will. And so, whether the reminder, whether the praise is, is long or short, one way or the other, whether it's a single sentence or an extended meditation, before we bring our petitions to the Lord, let us Praise Him. Let us remind ourselves of the one to whom we pray. Let us remind ourselves that we are praying to the Sovereign Lord, the maker of heaven and earth, the ruler of history, who works all things according to the counsel of his will. That we are praying to the one whose will is to give the kingdom to his children. To give the kingdom to those who entrust who them, trust themselves to the Son. To give the kingdom to those who love Him. And it's because this is the one to whom we pray. Because we pray to the Sovereign Lord who is irrevocably for us in Christ. That's why we call this good news. Don't be made feel guilty by the call to pray. Recognize the privilege. Delight in it. And seize the opportunity that is yours to bring all your cares and your concerns before the sovereign Lord. For it is that privilege that lets us call this good news. Do you believe that? Yeah. Let's believe it together. Father God, we rejoice in your goodness. And we thank you for your grace. We thank you for the grace that opens the way of prayer to us, that allows us to entrust ourselves to you, that allows us to come before you with our cares and our concerns, knowing that we will be here. Father God, open our eyes to see you as you are. Open our hearts to believe it. And set us free to pray with boldness. As ones who pray to the sovereign this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.